Hey, welcome to the Sensational Podcast. We're recording another episode, and it's a topic that I am very, very interested in. It might not seem like it on Twitter, but I think it's an, an amazing industry. It's got a lot of growth potential. I think there's a lot of zigs and zags and in and outs that people don't realize. Uh, and we're talking about the cannabis industry. And today, we have a very special guest that is very well entrenched in the cannabis industry, especially in his own home state of Michigan. Uh, so I'd like you all to say a big hey to Nate Shevick, at Fortunate Chev on Twitter, my very, very good friend or arch enemy, however you want to however you want to say it. So Nate, thank you very much for joining me on this. I think this is a great topic and it's something that I've been interested in for a very long time. I remember growing up even in the 70s, 80s, 90s, which here I date myself again, like I do every single show. <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's always been the idea of legalize it, legalize it, legalize it. And I think finally in some areas we did that or we're starting to do it and expanding on it. So, uh, Nate, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what you're about, and we'll kick this sucker off. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to do it. Um so yeah, I am currently a cannabis attorney. Uh, our firm that I work for, uh, we represent probably 20% of the uh, legal licensed uh, operations in, in Michigan. Uh, I first got into the legal industry in 2008 when it first passed in Michigan. Uh, me and some friends, we had a, a dispensary at the time, which was a gray market. Uh, we ran that for like three years until the law changed uh, and they wouldn't let us run that anymore came illegal. They changed the law to kind of price people out and, and, and vet people more and make it more licensed and regulated. So I went to law school. Um, and after law school, when the laws cleared up, it became kind of a natural fit. So uh, I represent those businesses and have some small business interests myself in the cannabis industry. Going to have a dispensary opening up, hopefully uh, by the 4th of July uh, in Michigan, in a small town on the Indiana border. Uh, and then have some interest in some grows as well. So yeah, we are uh, all, all cannabis all the time. Great. Um, that is a pretty extensive background. So I mean, that this, this is why I wanted to have you on the show, because it's not just the side of, say, the grower or the purchaser. It's sort of the back office side and, and where you see the industry going, where it's at now. Uh, how do you even kind of get into the cannabis industry and, and, and the different levels that you can get in as far as like entry level or subsidiary levels to, to make revenue. I mean, Absolutely. In, in some, in some aspects, like you want to grow this, this industry and grow your company and get into something that's new and fresh. And I think eventually going to boom. So how, how could, how could somebody with no experience like myself in doing any of that besides being a user that you could get into this industry? So there's a couple of different ways. Like myself, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere uh, where they were kind of growing weed forever. Um, so when they legalized it, uh, it was kind of natural to like, hey, let's go out and get the, get the card that I can grow some plants legally. Uh, so that was kind of the thing. And uh, you know, anybody at that point could open up a dispensary. But I would say, if you really wanted to get into it now you in your own state, one of the first things about it is 
municipal law. It is, there's always somebody passing it down. So for what I mean by that is, so the states will legalize it, but they don't want to be the ones to put it in your backyard uh, because those are where the fights happen. So what they will right. do is they will say to the municipalities, you guys, you guys take care of it, which, you know, will mean you can either allow them or not allow them and you can, you know, restrict them zoning wise. So when it starts in your state, nobody's going to want, they're all going to want the money. So the places that opt in and allow these uh, businesses to to be there, they're going to want to hide them. So they're all, you know, industrial buildings and things of that nature, you know, so they're hiding them. So, you know, you really got to follow the municipal, the municipal law of where you live if, if you're in a legal state. And if you're not in a legal state, you want to be watching the ballot proposals that are that are available. And I'm sure in almost every state, there are a number of different ballot proposals to, to get cannabis on, on ballots in some fashion or another. In some of these states, I can imagine the procedural hurdles are uh, are extensive. But if you live in a legal state and you want to get involved, you know, going to a dispensary and just walking in and talking to people, you know, that absolutely works. Uh, you know, finding out, you know, where the licensed places are and, and, you know, sending them emails like they love to have people that are, you know, excited about the business. Yeah. Well, in the, like, I know in Florida, obviously there's the, like the, uh, you can get the marijuana card. There's the little stores on the, on the side of the road and they're all on major roads. So it's gaining traction here. Um, obviously I think the Pacific Northwest was a leader in that and Colorado kind of came on board and there's a, a few other States, but, um, the, the South where I'm in is not exactly very open to this idea. Like, you know, do do you see a time where where you see or in the industry where things are starting to break a little bit or or is that going to be a real hell of a fight in certain areas of the country to get kind of even even a little bit open, not even not even just all the way, but like a foot in the door to do this? Right. I'm not going to lie to you. Some places it's going to be really hard. And uh, that's why, you know, when I went to look for where I'm going to put a dispensary, it's going to be on the Indiana border because they're never going to allow anything. Uh, so, uh, I do yeah. think that some places it is going to be hard. Now, uh, that being said, I don't think that applies to all Southern states. Uh, I definitely think that, uh, that Georgia having, uh, you know, big city area and, you know, some recent, uh, some recent voter turnout swings. I, I think that, you know, if they were to get a ballot proposal around, I think that they could probably do it. I think it could probably happen in Florida too. Uh, you know, a lot of different voter demographics there. Um, the problem you have is, is one getting it on the ballot to begin with, because there's so many different versions and they kind of always splinter and, and getting a cohesive, you know, agreement to what's actually going to be on there is kind of an issue in some places. And in other places, they just hijack the law completely after it's on the ballot and, and you know, rework it and make it impossible. And I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the Florida legislature. I don't live there, but you know, <laughs> you know, since they haven't done it yet. Um, yeah. But that being said, with some of the states doing it now, like Michigan, for example, you know, we're full rec state and, you know, things are going very well. Uh, recently, if you had a, uh, a open retail spot in your municipality because of the taxing and whatnot on the product, you got your municipality 28 grand 
So if you add five, you know, open retail spots in your municipality, each one kicked into your municipality, 28 grand. So that's like real money, uh, you know, right back to them. So that's a a real incentive. So, you know, now with laws being formulated that way, you know, it does lay a blueprint out for people who, uh, you know, can say, Hey, what are we going to actually get? This is what we're actually get. Well, yeah, see that, I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. That's so that's a municipality or that's an area that's very open-minded and, and sees kind of the cash register for them too, where, and like you said, they don't have much confidence in the Florida legislature. I, I mean, there's multiple reasons to not have confidence in the Florida legislature. <laughs> that's certainly one of them. Um, and there are a lot of people that I know down here who are excited for the opportunity for it to start because it's very difficult um, even for the grade of, of marijuana that you can grow here for medical reasons or you can do here, uh, it's still very limited and very restricted. And I know there's a, a lobby to push for Florida to sort of open it up a little bit more, a little bit more and get legislation. It's, it, it, it seems like we were, when we were talking before, before we started the show, like it starts to gain traction and then it pulls back and then it starts to gain traction again, and then it pulls back. So I don't know what the answers are to that, but the the idea of being able to also make revenues, we, again, we were talking before, you talked about your friend that was in Baltimore with the construction uh, company that's doing that. So there are ancillary ways to make revenue outside of Absolutely. just the straight part of I'm, I'm growing it or I own a store or I own a shop and, and things like that. So what's, what is something that we could do or somebody else could do getting into that industry Absolutely. that they could, they could work on or work with and Absolutely. say, okay, here's, here's a way I could sort of take advantage of the industry, but maybe indirectly. Definitely. There's a few different ways that are, that are really big. Uh, one is obviously the real estate guy. Um, now this takes takes a, a certain grind because I'm, I'm going to give you an example and it's going to play out. You know, it'll show how the real estate guy gets paid. Uh, I knew a guy and he has a uh, he lives in the middle of nowhere, a municipality of about uh, ten thousand people, and he knows that they're going to pass an ordinance to allow cannabis in industrial areas in the town that are zoned industrial. Now this is all public record. You know, they have these city council meetings. It's in the local newspaper. Everybody knows this. It's not a secret. So he knows this is going on and he goes out and puts a purchase agreement on an old vacant industrial building in this town for like 240 grand, a piece of crap building, but it's empty and it would qualify if they passed the ordinance. So they passed the ordinance. Now, he gets it permitted for cannabis, which costs him about five grand. So he's into the building for about 250 grand. Now it qualifies to be a cannabis property. And even though it's in the middle of nowhere, he gets a call out of the blue from a cannabis company and says, hey, we see your building's permitted. We'd like to buy it from you. It's like, sure, absolutely. 1.5 mil this building goes for, untouched. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the real estate play, but it really takes a grind on the municipal level to follow where they're going to allow them and what they're going to, you know, what sort of, what section of towns they're going to zone them and allow them. Right. That's a big deal. Uh, And that's also, and that's, that's also, you have to have the ability to sort of play the waiting game. So you got to have some patience on that because that's not something that's going to like, I can't flip this around and 
in six weeks or something like well, that. Well, honestly, or, you probably need it yeah, it's probably a six month to a year play because as soon as they start talking about an ordinance, you want to be following it. But the day that the ordinance goes into effect and you have a building, like it triples in value overnight. Like it, it yeah. people know, like you can flip it immediately. Oh, that's cool. So that's, that's really one. Good. And, uh, you know, if you don't have any money to get into real estate, you can go knock on doors of buildings that do qualify. And the great thing about these industrial properties normally is people can't wait to get rid of these buildings. They're looking to get rid of them. So you say to them, hey, you know, I'll give you 500K for this building and you sign a consulting agreement. You sell the building to a cannabis company for 1.5 or whatever. You give the guy 500 and you keep the rest. It's no money out of your pocket down. It's just an agreement with the actual property owner. So that's one way. The next way is you got to start thinking about these businesses is being so regulated. I like to think of them as like casinos. So when they finally do pass these ordinances, they're going to want to be looking at these places all the time. So what goes into that? One is they're going to need all kinds of site plan, floor plan. They need to know everything about that. So if you're an engineer or an architect I would recommend, you know, you can drop every other client and just go into cannabis because when these places allow cannabis in there and they limit the permits, let's say they're going to allow five businesses in the municipality. They're going to take applications and every single one of these applications, whether they get picked or not, are going to need these plans. And they're all paying cash. They don't care, you know, because they're cannabis companies. They don't have financing. You know, it's not like you're waiting for them to pay you. You can pretty much name your number if you're an architect. And right. you just punch them out. And so that's, you know, the architects are really getting paid uh, and the engineers. The next guys who are really getting paid are the security company guys. You know, uh, a dispo of 13, 1400 square feet in Michigan has probably 50 cameras and, you know, uh, a 60 grand security system in it. You know, and every yeah. single one in the state is required to have this. So they're, you know, they're just pumping them out. The security people are, are, are banging out. And obviously construction. If, uh, you know, you, if you are a cannabis building guy and you market yourself as just exclusively building cannabis buildings and you have experience in, in climate controlled buildings, uh, you know, you can make a lot of money uh, in a legal state. It is a gold rush to build things right now. So the architects and engineers and the construction side and all the tradesmen, of course, if you're an electrician, you know, outfitting these grows with, with the wattage, you know, the three phase, you know, electric systems and, you know, 1200 Watts or whatever they are, are 12,000, you know, amps or whatever, you know, they're big electric and, you know, they're all getting paid. So, so those people, um, there's a lot of tangential ways. And then obviously me, the attorney, uh, you know, you got to there's there's always lawyers. Yeah, there's absolutely. always lawyers involved. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, something's so regulated. That's why you need Nate. Yeah. And the um, like. So, for instance, down here, if it ever became like that, there is just pockets of out of the way commercial buildings and industrial buildings that, I mean, were vacant or going on a business. And then, I mean, COVID obviously changed a lot of that. There's a lot more, there's a ton more of, of places like I, that's what, so if you can, if you can see that coming in Florida and you have the wherewithal or the financial resources, or even the desire to do it the other way, like you said, make a deal with one of these guys and say, Hey, I'm going to follow this. If I can flip it, we'll split. And 
So that's definitely and the, something the property that is there out. too, and, and the property sharks are the first to come out. Uh, and I mean, it is. I can only imagine what it'll look like down there. I mean, they're paying, you know, 40, 50 bucks a square foot for like huge industrial buildings that like need to be completely renovated uh, yeah. here in Michigan. So like in Detroit, so like it, when it comes down there where I can, you know, the property values are what they are anyway, uh, I can imagine what, what those prices will look like. It would be, it, it would it would grow to a point of absurdity as far as, as price wise, like, and that would oh, be, yeah. I mean, that would be, a, that would be an incredible industry to be on the ground floor of when it, when, and if it happens in Florida. So that's great. The second thing I wanted to kind of spin off is the security question, because uh, I mean, you, you hear stories or you read things or you hear things on the news about, you know, the, the dispensary got robbed because it's a cash business and things like that. It, you know, it happens. It's yeah. just, it's the nature of the business, I'm sure. So do you think it's very important in aspect for the regulatory commissions to come in and make it mandatory for the safety of the people that work there or the people that are coming into the places, if it's a dispensary, to, to sort of mandate that there needs to be, at, at the very least, a minimum amount of security? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I do think, you know, here in Michigan, there are certain requirements and, and they do that to, to kind of take it out of the hands of the local municipality. And, and I do think it's good. Um, but to be honest, I, I do think that they would probably take similar measures anyway. Uh, just because, you know, the, the value of the product. I mean, it's no secret that people think that you can, you know, you can do things here, but I will say in Michigan, the way that we've done it here, making these requirements and having people meet them, you will read very few stories about a Michigan licensed outfit getting robbed. Uh, yeah. It is just, you, you do not see it. And actually, uh, you know, part of my job, I go into these municipalities that don't allow cannabis and I try and, you know, talk them into allowing cannabis. And, you know, in some of the areas, I'll reach out to the sheriffs who are very, you know, friendly to come out and they'll say, you know, in your neighboring municipality where they have, you know, 30 cannabis businesses, you know, crime has not changed one bit, like at all. Uh, so if that's what you're, if you're thinking it's about that, it is not about that. Um, the, the requirements are, are what they are. And I think that they are good. So I would recommend starting that way. And you, it's always easier to over-regulate and then dial it back than it is to, you know, right. allow it to, to kind of linger and then have, require somebody. Because once you start requiring later in the game, now you're pricing people out who have already invested money and they're having to close their doors potentially. But when you start them and then release it, you know the people that are involved have the, the financial backing to, to, you know, to make it and, and operate this way at this certain level. But what is that? What is that pro that's interesting what you just said about you know you go into these municipalities and you try to convince them to sort of open themselves up to the ability or the the business itself what's what's kind of that process like like what's the what's the first knock on the door for you to say hey here's an area that is an untapped area. We think we would like to get them involved. There's a growth market here, or it's in the middle of a spot where it seems like it could be a huge industry for them. 
What, what is that process like for you as far as, like I said, what's the first knock on the door? What's the first phone call? Like, how well, does somebody that will call start? me. Somebody will call me and say, hey, you know, or if it's one of our clients already, which most of the time it is, it's an open and operating business, says, hey, we'd like to be here and they don't allow cannabis. Uh, can you help us out? And so my first thing is I'll go to, uh, to, to the Michigan voter history. And in 2018, we had Prop 1, which was the adult use recreational uh, you know, ballot initiative to legalize cannabis for you know, 21 and up. And so I'll go to that municipality and see how they voted and uh, yeah. you know, see what the percentage breakdown was uh, and kind of see who my market is there. Uh, and I'll see how they voted on other things to see how I'll kind of spin it because cannabis is, you know, it has a, a, a wide ranging coalitions. You know, I've, I'll go to municipalities that are heavy Trump country that, lo- you know, they love cannabis and then I'll go into the liberal con- counties and they love cannabis too. So it's, you know, there's a, a, a lot of overlap there, but my first call is normally to the supervisor, uh, to the city supervisor or the township supervisor, uh, to ask for any history of, of them opting out or, uh, you know, discussion at the city council level uh, on cannabis and see what they've done previously. Because um, in Michigan, when we passed it, you had to opt out of, uh, on record as a municipality or you were automatically in. So there's always a, a history of them talking about it. So I, I check that history and see, you know, kind of how the votes went. And then I'll reach out to the city council members individually and, uh, and I'll get some time on a city council agenda and kind of tailor a, uh, a presentation to them. Look at the demographics of their municipality, kind of things that, you know, are around there that they do. You know, I'm not going into every municipality and pitching them, hey, let's have 30 retail spots. Like, right. you know, you know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm, I'm going in there and I'm saying, hey, let's do maybe one retail spot or, you know, let's do some grows. Uh, let's do some process labs. Uh, and once you have that in there and they see the sky's not falling, then they're, they're more likely to open up to retail down the line and allow more facilities down the line. But my first call is definitely into the city council to, to kind of book some time at a city council meeting. They'll normally give you at least five minutes. Uh, and then they'll normally ask questions. And for the most part, a lot of places that opt out and, and aren't deemed cannabis friendly, uh, it's for the most part, an educational thing. You know, they don't really know what they're allowed to do under the law. It can be kind of confusing. They don't want to get sued because a lot of municipalities getting sued. Now, like make no mistake about it. There's a lot of lawsuits. If you come in and say, Hey, we're going to allow five municipalities. The guy who doesn't get one, he's suing you. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of that, but uh, so they don't want that. And so they're looking for help. So once I go there and kind of open that door, uh, you know, I've written ordinances for municipalities that they've passed. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they've, you know, more often than not, they're friendly after you open that door. But sometimes, you know, it's just the, just the area or, you know, the demographic where they're like, no, no cannabis, you know, maybe a super religious area or something like that. But, you know, can't, can't flip everybody. Yeah. Do you find it? Um, so it, if you do sort of open up an area you're having, or you even want to grow an area that you already have onboarded and, and going and moving forward, but you just want to start to grow it, or you can see some growth opportunity. Um, is there, is there an idea that sometimes people don't get involved in the cannabis industry uh, either out of a, a fear of, is this legal? Like they don't do their research. Like what am I getting myself into? Or, 
I mean, they're just inherently lazy, which well, is I will say this. <laughs> there are two kinds of people in the cannabis industry and there are, you know, regular business guy who sees cannabis as a commodity as almost like, you know, tomatoes where, you know, you throw the seeds in the ground and you grow it. And, you know, he's kind of tough to deal with because it is not like that. Um, growing cannabis and, and, you know, the cannabis industry itself is, is just as much art as science. Um, right. So it, it's a little different there. And then you have cannabis guy who's a little bit more uh, cannabis savvy, but not as much, you know, business and regulatory savvy. Uh, yeah. So I will say that, uh, you know, people getting scared away, um, you know, that, that is legitimate. And I will say this, I start every consultation that I have with somebody because you can't get financing for a cannabis building. Like if you go to a bank and say, Hey, loan me some money to buy this building. I'd like to do a cannabis output in it. It's not going to happen. It has to be paid for. Everything has to be done in cash. You can't take tax deductions for a retail spot. So like you're getting killed in taxes. So like, you have to have money. I start every consultation. I say to the potential client, I say, if you don't have $100,000 to hand me in cash right now and light on fire, then you're in the wrong industry. This is not the business yeah. for you. <laughs> it changes daily and things go bad. They get stalled. Like There's all sorts of, of things that can happen and you have to have the, fi- the capital uh, to really be in this business. However, if you don't have that capital and you have an asset, such as, you know, if you have a deal on a property or something like that, there are lots of deals to be made. If, if you have a property yourself, maybe that would potentially qualify. You can sit on that property and wait for somebody to come to you and they'll develop it. You know, now we're, you know, 50, 50 partners on an outfit that I don't have to put any money into. So that's a great deal. Right. And that's kind of, right. you know, how I got mine. I don't have any money. Uh, you know, my, my parents, you know, my dad's a, a small business guy who's been retired for a while. My mom's a public school teacher. So it's not like we were out here buying a bunch of buildings. You know, we bought a right. building on the cheap before, you know, people knew what was going on. And, you know, we, we partnered with a, re- a legitimate, you know, outfit. So, you know, they're going to do, you know, all the, all the financial heavy lifting. You know, that's, those are the deals that are out there to be made. Yeah. Do you, is it still pretty much primarily only? or maybe only not even primarily still pretty much only a cash business. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. have any bank have any banks or banking industries sort of started to open up and see the light to say like Oh, absolutely. You oh, know? no question, make no mistake about it. Definitely. So there's this little credit union um Got it's in Sterling Heights, Michigan. You can maybe Google it. I'm not going to give its name, but they were the first ones into cannabis, and it was like in 2016. And oh my God, they have been just making so much money. It's ridiculous. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Like just so much money. And then so recently, a uh, a bigger local bank they have opened up the cannabis, and I think they charge something like four thousand dollars a month just to hold like a checking account for a cannabis company and it's just oh my god cash. like they're just gutting you but yeah that so it's opening up a little bit uh but yeah it's of course being extorted for those you know just ridiculously basic you know financial services none of them will really loan you money for cannabis related outfits so like that's not happening yet so like you can't say like hey loan me some money for dispo in inventory. I need a mill so I can load my dispo up. You know, they're not going to do that. That's not happening. No, 
but they'll but they'll take your money for a very large fee. Oh yeah, absolutely. They, and the technology they have now is crazy. So like they have these uh these safes that they'll give you. And so like they come in and they like attach a certain way to like the floor and whatnot. And like, so you put the money in the safe and it like sucks it in there and it's instantly in your bank account. Like you can, uh, you, you can use it on, on your, you know, your company checking account right then as soon as you put it in there and they come in. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And they send a secure service like every, you know, day or every other day, whenever to come pick that, that cash up, you never travel with it. So that's, yeah, that's. I'm again, like when it first started, it just seemed like every bank was like, no, I, you know, don't bring, you can't bring that here. You can't, you know, and obviously large cash deposits before that were, you know, that stuff is track credit union first opened up to cannabis businesses. You would go in there and literally step over bags of cash. (laughs) It's like, it's like something out of a movie. It was like, there had to be a movie like that. It was ridiculous. You could just literally, I mean, it's, but that's a good thing because if it if it kind of gets word out from even a small financial institution like that, that's probably like a small local financial institution that doesn't have a lot of branches that can go out in different states and different areas. So here's the thing about this is with the banking and how they're kind of getting around it. So like there's a Supreme Court case way back in the day from California that says like some lady was growing 12 plants for medicinal use. And like she ended up going to jail because she couldn't essentially prove that all of her weed wasn't going across state lines. And like, so they got her for like drug trafficking essentially. And like, Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. But so like, that's essentially the, the federal play. So in Michigan, how we do it here is when you start a clone, when it hits eight inches tall, it has to have a tag on it that has what's called a metric number on it. And so this number will follow this plant all the way to you know, it's sale on your, it'll be on the label that you get when you buy it at the dispensary. Every single thing is tracked. So they're saying, you know, essentially we can say none of this is going out of state, you know, it's Michigan use. Like, so that's kind of, you know, the bend. Uh, But I do think, you know, going forward, I imagine people are wondering about federal legalization, but, you know, I imagine going forward before that happens, we will see some sort of uh, banking exception where states that have licensed cannabis businesses can can do banking things and can uh, you know can take financing and, and things of that nature. Um, and the the main thing is tax provision 280e, which says you know a federally illegal business essentially can't take any tax deductions. So which is what you're getting clocked over the head with, uh, right? You know, as a dispo. Um, so we think that those will probably happen before federal legalization happens. And and those are things that I would like to see happen before federal legalization happens. Frankly, I think that's a a better way to go. Let the States decide how they want to handle things, but like help the ones that, that do want it. Yeah. And how, when you just, when you just mentioned that and you're talking about that, I kind of, I want to play off that a little bit, but sort of on a side area is what, what parallels do you think that it has with uh, lesser sentencing for for like marijuana possession or crimes as we go from state to state where we can sort of see that starting to happen where it's becoming a little bit less where there's more of a um, you know large prison sentences or jail sentences that have happened in the past are starting to get smaller uh, some states are even moving to more of a drug I, uh... program anything like that how does that parallel with states also opening up to the marijuana industry because it it sort of takes that 
like red flag away or that scarlet letter of just the word cannabis industry, just that whole thing where maybe a little bit less legal involvement can sort of help these states realize like, okay, it's, it's starting to cut itself open a little bit. And maybe we would like to investigate what this is all about. Yeah. So there's normally, so they're not moving as fast uh, as I would like to see on, on, you know, releasing people and things of that nature, but there is normally some sort of what they call social equity component in, in a lot of these laws, um, that do allow, uh, for people who have drug felonies to, to get help getting into the industry. And that's ha- happening here in Michigan, uh, which I think is good, is a good thing for the most part. Um, I will say, uh, a lot of it is still being decided in the courts. Uh, for example, some municipalities are, you know, granting preferential treatment to, uh, you know, to people who are within their municipalities who have lived there for a long time and, and have drug convictions. And so like the, the licenses are going to them first as, as opposed to other people. So like, can the state legally do that? That's literally being decided in the courts. Um, so, so it, it's kind of to be determined, but they're definitely not moving as fast as I'd like to see letting people out. Uh, and I'll say that, especially here in Michigan, like I like our AG and our governor, uh, had I hopes and, and, you know, I still continue to like them, but, uh, you know, they, they should definitely be moving faster to, to get people out who are in there for ridiculous marijuana sentences. That's for sure. Which is like that almost to the rest of the country, um, all over the place. There are huge amounts of people in jails and people in prisons for just ridiculousness with charges, which obviously go way back to a time. And, and that's why I just mentioned fear. It almost seems like it still has that stigma. Like it's, and it shouldn't, I've, I mean, there are people who believe that I don't believe that I never have believed that I've, you know, I had legalize it stickers on my car when I was in high school, which is a long time ago. So when it passes uh, and becomes legally recreationally usable in your state, you will be amazed how it changes overnight. Like, so my, my mom is a public school teacher. She is, you know, a, a straight edge lady. Like if you ask people that knew my mom, you know, when I was in high school, you know, about cannabis, like you, she would have flipped out. Like, so it passes, it goes legal. And, and I go to my parents and I say, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to do this dispo and, and, you know, we would like some money potentially if you have it to invest in a, in a small grow to grow, you know, 72 plants in. And, you know, we had a, a, a breakdown of, you know, what it cost and she didn't do it then. Her, her friend who was also there gave us the money and, and we paid her back and my mom saw that. But after that, she, she was all in, uh, you know, she, right. she, you know, she gave, you know, me all, you know, the, the, uh, primarily the money that we had to buy the building originally on the low. Uh, so they will go that things will change overnight. People that you never thought w- would be interested, they, they will be interested. It, it is amazing how it changes. Yeah. I have a, um, I have a very good friend in California who sort of dipped into the industry a little bit his, and his parents were very much against it. Just, you know, want nothing to do with it. You're doing the wrong thing. You're going to get arrested and it, you know, shouldn't be legal, et cetera, et cetera. And he started to expand a little bit and got into it. And his parents now work with him right. in the industry. Right. Like they've, they've seen the light so to speak, to say, Oh, this is not like, and not only are they in the industry, they also use it 
or, or, you know, some form of it for, you know, they're older, they have aches and pains and things like that. And doctors prescribe it. They have their cards and for the medical part, like it's been a complete 180 degree turn from somebody just being completely against it to some, to two older people who are literally involved in the process of the business now. Like, it, oh. like you said, it just yeah. made a huge change. Absolutely. My, my dad, when, uh, so when the dispo had to close, we, we got the money from my mom's friend there to build the grow originally. And so, uh, when the dispo had to close, we didn't really have a whole lot of use for that grow anymore. Uh, my dad, God love him. You know, he taught himself how to grow weed in that grow. He's been growing weed like 10 years and he loves it. And he, you know, it, you know, he makes edibles himself now and it's like, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I've, um, I've become more and more aware of like the differences in, in people when I see that I, that I've known before that were not open to it, that have seen like spread and and some of it is out of greed because they see you know they see the money involvement that could possibly in in you know come into them too so uh, while they may not be open to everything that it encompasses they sure are open to making money on absolutely yeah there's a lot of greed involved everybody definitely sees these businesses as lottery tickets and i would say careful with that um there for the most part i think kind of long-term plays uh, if you're looking retail because of the tax reasons and things that we talked earlier about, uh, you know, we, you're hitting about 50, you're getting about 15%, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what you're taking home. Uh, right. so, you know, they are expensive to run. Um, the grows, uh, you know, you do get some tax help there, but now, you, you know, as the market matures, if you're first to market, that's great. But as the market matures, you really got to know what you're doing because I will say this in Michigan, um, the first guy that the first few that came to market with big grows in Michigan, they were not really growing great product. And, and, you know, they made a killing for a while, but now the people that actually know how to grow weed, like they are licensed and running and, and the good weed is out there. So if you cannot grow top flight weed, like uh, you, you, you don't know what you, you should not be growing it. And when I say that, you know, everybody thinks, you know, oh yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've had good weed, you know, this is what it is, what it's not. Now, I mean, you need to be able to have that weed tested and, and have it hit a certain number, uh, you know, or right. else people aren't going to buy it. Now, I'm not here to tell you that that's the best weed all the time, but I'm here to tell you the market isn't that sophisticated. I'm here to tell you that the market is going to see that big number and that's what's buying, that's what's not. So if you're, you know, hitting a lower number, it doesn't matter how good your weed is, it's going to sit there. So like you, right. if you're looking to get rich and on a grow side, thinking you can grow really good weed, like you better be able to do it. So I'll circle back on something. What is the number that you speak of? <laughs> it has to hit a certain number. Elaborate for me, please. Absolutely. Please. So in Michigan right now, if you can hit 30% THC, you are going to sell. Uh, if you're not hitting 20%, you're not going to sell at all. Uh, the, the mid level is really from like 20 to 25 or 26. Those are really where the battles are, you know, above 26 is going to sell. Um, but above 30, you're guaranteed to get tried it, it, you know, it, they will 75 and eight, no problem. Hmm. So it does still make a difference. Obviously. I mean, it makes a difference in just any industry. You either have good, you have good bourbon, you have great bourbon, you have elite specialty bourbon and everything in between 
but for you know for cannabis it's the same way yeah it's interesting and you make that comparison because one of my clients who's a great grower he's one of the best they run one of the best outfits in the state uh empire brands you can google them they're great uh so they uh they grow great weed and we were talking about this one day with the alcohol and he says uh you know, it's not like, uh, every time I'm, I'm drinking, I'm looking to get, you know, hammered. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you're looking to drink a seltzer. Uh, so, you know, it, it is interesting, but in weed, it's different. Everybody's always looking for the high one. You know, it just is what it is right now. The market's not that sophisticated. Yeah. And it's, it, it that's another part too, is as a novice, um, and myself, as far as strains and things like that, like, I would have no idea what I'm walking into. Like if I walked into a store or something like that and saw this, 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 and this, you know, I've, I've had, obviously I've had good weed. I've had bad weed. I've had great weed. I wouldn't know the, I wouldn't know the difference by looking at it or by a name. How much homework and research does it take if you're not that weed person and you're getting into the business, whether it's the grow side or, or any part of it really, how much homework does it take to really catch up the speed as far as like, okay, this is the stuff that I have to know. There has to be a nominal amount at the very least to be able to, to get into it, to understand what you're getting into. Yeah. And this is really what, what, so when I tell people, you know, they better have a hundred thousand dollars to light on fire. This is why, because if you're Joe Schmo business guy going into cannabis and you say, Hey, a lot of money can be made growing weed. I, I want to do that. How do you hire and vet a cannabis grower? You know, like how do you right. legitimately vet that guy not knowing anything about cannabis? And let me tell you something about cannabis growers. They are every single one of them going to tell you that they grow the best weed. It's phenomenal. This and that you, you know, every single one of them is going to blow your mind off in the interview process. They're going to tell you how great their weed is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so there, are, there's been a lot of learning curves with that. A lot of finance guys dumping money into grows that hired the wrong guy off the bat. And in Michigan, you have to pass testing for, you know, microbes and, and you know, mold and, and different bugs and things. And the standard of testing is, is at a pretty high level. So, you know, right away, if you can't pass testing, you can't sell that product at all. And, and you know, it goes up in flames almost essentially overnight. So, you know, if you've hired the wrong guy and he can't even pass testing, you, you know, off the rip, you got problems. Uh, yeah. If you have a, I mean, if you open a restaurant and you hire a bad chef, you're doomed. Absolutely. But you, you can know? vet a chef, you know, off his previous resume. If you get a resume from a grower, you know, how do you vet that? Like, oh yeah, I've been up in the Emerald Triangle. I've had six acres the last 20 years. Yeah. Let me call somebody. Like, how's that happen? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't, like I said, as a novice to go in, like, where would you even start? Now, if you're, if you're going to start, if you're, if you're a guy who is, uh, who is going to put money potentially into a grow and you're thinking that's the route to go. If you're interviewing somebody to potentially head up that grow, they better come with product in hand from a lab with a test result that says the percentage of everything that they can test for and what that looks like on paper. That is essentially the resume now. Like you can't just walk in somewhere and like, oh yeah, I've grown, you know, 12 plants for the last 30 years. Like that's not, right. that's not how you get hired. You have to have a legitimate product in your hand with like scientific backing. Right. And that, it, that makes sense to me as far as that there has to be a level of professionalism that you would have to have to, to get into that business. It'd be very difficult, it would seem, unless you just come on to some sucker that you could 
fake your way into it. Like you, you either can or you can't, and you have proof that you can or you can't. Because, I mean, it, it, that's also something that you're going to find out in a very short period of right. time. And there's always like, growing pains, like make no mistake about it. Because like with the big grows that are growing four, 6,000 plants, like we compare it to, you know, the caregiver law when it first came to Michigan, everybody could grow 12 plants. You could potentially grow up to 72. So now you can grow, you know, 6,000 or 8,000, you know, you get a license for that many. So we equate that to like one day you're playing JV basketball and the next day you're playing the Lakers. And just because the laws are now (laughs) just allowing you to happen to, to grow that many plants, it doesn't mean that there's that many people qualified. You know, there's only so many people on the planet that have grown, you know, 6,000 marijuana plants, you know what I mean? At one time. Like, you know, those, yeah. those people that can do that are limited. So there are always growing pains. That being said, uh, you know, the, the finance guys will absolutely put you in, in the right position to, to be able to grow premium product. It will, it will be up to you to do it. Um, and, and that's what it is. But when, when you're growing and, and if you're, if people that are listening to this are, have growing experience, I would say, you know, you have to really be able to handle things at a genetic level because like, you know, it's more than just like cutting clones, like it, it, everything, it's all about genetics and, and growers know that. Uh, so, so you really got to be able to, uh, to, you know, to peak those genetics and to pull the curtain a little bit back on the industry, uh, the future in that, you know, cloning and all that is going away. Um, they're now doing what's called tissue culturing. So if you're looking to maybe start growing marijuana and you've never, you know, talked about it or even looked up anything before, I would recommend you start now by, by looking into the tissue culture. This way, uh, it takes, all right, so, so, so if you're, all right, let me back it up with, uh, talk a little bit about genetics. Uh, so if you have, you know, let's say seven, seven seeds of the same strain, uh, you're going to grow them. They're like kids almost like, so Derek Rose has a brother. You know, Derek Rose's brother didn't play in the NBA. So, you know, some of these plants are going to be really good. Some of them are not going to grow, you know, with the, with the great traits. Uh, so you want to find the best one and clone that one. That's really the name of the game. But with tissue right. culturing, any part of the plant that you tissue culture, be it the, you know, from, you know, a clone or, or you know, an original mother plant, whatever you tissue culture, it peaks the genetics out. So it's going to make them as strong as they can be every time. So like that's kind of the future. So we'll take that part as far as the future of, of the cannabis industry. What, what are some of the other branches of the future of this, this industry that you can see kind of coming with all the knowledge that you have and the experience that you have? Like what, what do you think the future holds as far as the overall cannabis industry in the United States? Even I know it could be state by state. It's not federal. We talked about the federal part, but, um, What's, what's kind of the future that you see happening? Well, it's interesting enough that, you know, everybody talk, everybody wants to put cannabis in everything, and that's definitely happening. Um, you know, you, you, we see it. it's interesting once you start getting the numbers back on the demographics on who's buying what and, you know, like what sells and what doesn't and, you know, what percentage of the marketplace is what product. And like, so you definitely see like, you know, the older women and and things, you know, they're trying, you know, the micro dosing edibles and like, you know, things of that nature, which are, you know, almost just hilarious to me. However, at the end of the day, you know, the, the pre, the, the, the base product that sells the most is still flour, uh, you know, smoke, smokable flour. However, you know, vapes are big and the technology with, with the vapes is changing, you know, all the time. It's more efficient every day. There's a new vape releasing. It seems like, 
Uh, so, so that's definitely the future. Genetically modifying the plants is definitely the future. The tissue culturing opens that up. Uh, and I've, I've heard from a Cornell scientist. He tells me this is possible. I, I'm yet to see it happen. He tells me that, you know, if he has three different tissue cultures from three different strains, let's say one is like a, a, a really dense, you know, nug producing plant. One produces, you know, pounds per plant and one has a really great smell. He can essentially crack open these tissue cultures and make a new plant with these traits from each one. Like I, now I don't know about that at all, but he tells me that's possible. He did go to Cornell, so I'm kind of inclined to believe him. Uh, his lab is being built right now in, in Lansing, Michigan. It's about a mile from my house. So stay tuned and in about August, it should be open and we'll see what he's, what he's really doing. That's see, that's, that's a, I get the, I don't even, I don't know how to word this, but there seems like there's so many different ways that you could do that. Like as far as strands and, and, and cloning things to, is there a way that you think that at some point, not only just the potency or things like that, that you can, that you could clone or do some sort of DNA structuring where it could, where it could help different illnesses specifically. Oh or, yeah. Absolutely. Like, is that, once, is that part of the future absolutely. also? Like, once you can, once you can, you know, once you're talking about taking traits of certain plants and, and, and being able to alter those traits, that's exactly, you can almost do, you know, you, you can tailor make plants for, for, you know, for certain illnesses and things like that. Um, however, I don't uh -oh. want to be the bearer of bad news, but like, as soon as the recreational market hits, uh, your state, the medical market just like, it, it almost disappears overnight. Like it just gets swallowed up. Uh, in Michigan, there's a tax incentive to have a medical card. Like you, you pay significant lower prices, but like it, it almost does not matter. People are not renewing their cards. They're just paying recreational prices. And you know, the, the medical growers right now, because of the way that the laws are set up, if you're just a medical grower, you can't sell into the rec market. So there's like a surplus of medical products to be bought for the, for the retail wow. spots and sold, but like, there's just no, the medical market gets smaller every day once the rec market happens. So I would, I would think, you know, the, the, the beginning stages of that are, are going to be geared more toward the, uh, the, the recreational cannabis user and the cannabis enthusiast, just to almost kind of see what the plant can do. Well, the, yeah, that's, I would see that exactly. Like you said, I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. That's a fantastic point is, is as the recreational starts to encroach on the medical, like there's a huge percentage shift almost overnight Absolutely. where like the medical starts to go by the wayside because you don't need the card, you don't need the doctor approval or referral or whatever that you need for that. And if you could just go in, like why would you need to do that? So you have to be, so even if you do get in the industry and you're on the medical side, you have to be aware that once that medical breach happens, there's a chance that the recreational at some point will come into play. And you've got to be prepared for that as a businessman to be able to see the future. And that's an excellent that point. And I will different. say this because it, it varies by state. Most places you will see, they, they see the medical market as a footstep into what will eventually be a recreational market. And that in most places is a solid, you know, understanding and belief. It certainly was in Michigan. However, you really have to be careful about your state's medical law that allows you to get into the market because some states' medical laws are so restrictive and so ridiculous 
that, you know, once recreational comes, those, those businesses, they're not going to have a, a foot up because of what they're allowed to do now is just so limiting. It, it's like they're barely in the industry. Like, for example, I believe it's in West Virginia where like they can't, they can't grow flour to sell flour or like they can't have you know, like certain states, your, your THC, I think Georgia has a THC limit on, on what they can have for vape cartridges. And some of these limits are so low, it's ridiculous. Like the whole point of like the vape cartridges to make it, you know, potent and efficient. Like for example, in Michigan, our vape cartridges, you know, they're about 87 to 89% THC potency. And like in some of these states, you can't go over like 20% THC in a vape cart. And it's like, if you're, if that's what you're making, like it's not worth it right now. Wait for the wreck to happen. Don't sacrifice yeah. everything to get in the med market. If your if your local medical law is terrible, it'll all have to change when the recreational law comes. Yeah, because everything because at that point at that point that the recreational does come, you've sort of you've pigeoned yourself into a thing that you might not be able to get out of, or it's 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 because because that part of it is instantly not going to be successful. Like if you have nothing to compete with and nothing that's comparable, you're done. Like you, I mean, you literally could close within a week. Like everything's gone because you're going to lose your whole customer base to something that's more potent, more available, does and helps them in the way that they feel like they need it and and how they can grab onto it instead of just using your little tiny <laughs> percentage that does nothing. Right, for them exactly. In comparison, if I like, if I'm Joe Schmo, cannabis guy, and you know I have a business in, in some state where I can make these you know terrible products, pretty much. And, and, you know, the next day they pass a law that says anybody can make great products. Does the market care that you were making terrible products yesterday and today you can make great products? And I just started making products today, but I make great products. No, it doesn't. You know, they're going to buy what, what's there. So like your history uh, of, you know, being first in line because, you know, you, you operated under some terrible law. And to be honest, those are losing propositions in a lot of places. A lot of cannabis businesses do go belly up. You know, some some municipalities in Michigan have come in for medical and, and slow to adopt rec. And so like retail stores are, are, you know, next door to municipalities that have recreational stores. So they're having to close their doors because of that. So like this is not a lottery ticket guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's an absolute cutthroat business. Well, and, and that's that's kind of in any business, maybe not to this level, but sort of any right. business. I mean, you got to, you got to stay ahead of the game and you better stay two, three, four steps ahead and have the ability to adjust if it becomes necessary, because the way that it sounds, you can become a dinosaur in this industry really quickly. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. Very no, a hundred percent. And you know, the market will tell you, like, there's a couple of things you know, there's a weed maps app where it tells you like it, it, where all cannabis businesses are. It, it's like, you have to have it. If you're in a cannabis state, it'll say like, we're all the, you have to be on it. And this is a great idea for the guy who made it. He charges like 500 bucks a month for a business to be on there. And it says, you know, their address and what's on the menu today and all that shit. And so yeah. like you're on that and it says where it's at, but there's also reviews and you know, you can only open up one time. And, and, you know, to, to load a dispensary, you know, with inventory the first time and make it, you know, uh, what people want is, it is very expensive. You know, our, we have clients, you know, they have three, $4 million in inventory in the building at all times. Yeah, that's, and that's a, that's a hell of a thing that you're outlaying. I mean, obviously you, you, I mean, you do that with the idea that you're going to be able to sell it. You're going to be able to, to move the product. So like, 
you know, any business, but that's still in an industry that's not sort of all the way formed itself. Right. And, you know, it's the products still get better risk. every day. So you hate, you know, you, you definitely hate that there, you know, people definitely sit on tons of product uh, and that, yeah, that doesn't move. Like that is absolutely a nightmare. <laughs> and it absolutely happens. Uh, yeah. And, and with the market, it improves every day. It's all, it's, there's always a new product to try or, or somebody, you know, coming online with a first harvest that, you know, is killer some new genetics or, you know, some new store opening up. That's all very exciting. You know, definitely new edibles always to try and things like that, which is very exciting. But yeah, it's tough, you know, when you're buying that inventory, like how much money do we put into to this product right now? Because, you know, what's coming? Tomorrow? Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got to, I've, I've got to take just a second because I let a few of my friends know that we would be doing this show. And they had a couple of questions that they wanted me to ask. Certainly. You. So we'll do the responses on the air. Perfect. And um, one of them is named Teddy. Oh, fuck and this guy. Teddy would like to know if you liked living in the bike room and how many bongs did you break while you were living in there? Uh, Teddy's a scumbag. Uh <laughs> No, I, I did not. It was a, it was terrible. Uh, I lived in the bike room for God, half a semester. I believe it was, it was a disaster. They called it the bike room and SAE. It wasn't, you know, actually the bike room, but it was known as the bike room. It was first floor next to the kitchen. It was fucking terrible. Uh, there were <laughs> three bongs broken, including my first roar bong, which was a travesty. And the, the next question I have is from uh, another friend of mine named Dylan. Oh, God, I hate this um, guy even more. And he, he just he wanted to know in a, in a very serious manner, and, and I think he means this in the best possible way, <laughs> is why does your mom include his, your friends in the group text, but not you? <laughs> because she's insane and she knows I don't have time for that shit. Uh, no, I because uh, I talk to her enough. I don't need to be included in those. But I would just like to say, Dylan, my, my good friend of mine from high school, used to be a good, a, a really good baseball pitcher. And uh, you know, I, I stepped into the plate one time. I was not a baseball player, but we had a, uh, a video camera, and there's footage of it of me, you know, taking him deep to center field. So you know, he won't talk about that much. But uh, oh, yeah, that's a good clapback. Yeah, absolutely, video. He also. He also mentioned something about a, a gallon of vodka that landed you in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, that absolutely happened. <laughs> um, definitely happened. My freshman year at Michigan State, um, God, what year was that? 2009. We were really not a football program at that time. However, uh, we were hosting a night game against number four, Wisconsin. And we beat the shit out of Wisconsin. Uh, and me and a couple of my buddies from home, they were up there that weekend. And we sat down after that game and uh, took double shots until a half gallon was gone. Took about 40 minutes. I fell out of a window that night. It was bad news. <laughs> That's terrible. You seem to know these two guys very well. I had no idea. Oh, that, yeah. These, you know, are, these, these are, are my good friends. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Teddy from college and uh, Dylan, we went to high school together. Absolutely. So we'll step off first, but before we do kind of step off for just one second, sure. I want to say that like, thank you for all the information that you gave on here with, uh, as far as the cannabis industry, I thought it was unbelievably uh, well thought out and, and expressed in a way that like, 
again, someone myself who's not, uh, you know, not experienced in this business could understand. I think it really helpful and very informative. And I really appreciate you popping on here and, and talking about that and like how fast an hour goes. Oh, yeah. Almost into an hour. Absolutely. Isn't that crazy? Like you feel like you're talking and it's like, God, it doesn't feel like it's been an hour, but here it's been an hour. Yeah, absolutely. I was happy to do it. I, I, I love it. If uh, you know anybody wants to uh, to hit me up on Twitter, if they want to uh, to learn more, I'm happy to talk about uh, the cannabis industry with just about anybody. Uh, yeah, I'll link. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll be linking your, your Twitter at handle, whatever, when we do the, when we actually do the show and the show trailer, which you've seen the show trailer. I thought that was hilarious. Absolutely not. Well done. <laughs> I hate to give you credit for anything. It's hard to, uh, to, to bash you though, when I'm the star of the show. So it's like, oh, he's really got me well, over the heel. On. Okay. Well, I mean, star might be exaggerating a little oh, bit. No, like I am still, I am still here. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. <laughs> Before we sign off, I just want to say, I just want to remind everybody out there that, uh, you know, the university of Florida has never beaten Michigan state in football. Oh my God. Here we go. Yeah. I knew that was coming. And would you like to bring up the 2000 NCAA? Oh, just, like, you know, Dean Cleves, greatest player of all time and Teddy Dupay, ultimate dirtbag. You know, that's it. This <laughs> was ultimately served. I, I am I am going I am going to agree with you on only one side of that, and because Mateen Cleves is not the greatest basketball player of all time, all time. not even close. All time. But little, but little Teddy, I can't. I honestly I can't say you're wrong there. A little bit. Like, <laughs> the next year after we did win that game, I was in the Breslin Center before we go, and a, and a former NBA player by the name of Zach Randolph hit Teddy Dupay with an elbow to the head. And dropped Teddy to the ground. And, you know, people thought he was out. But I, I will say after the year before when he stepped on Mateen's ankle, that was probably one of the top five loudest cheers I've heard in the Breslin Center. You can call us dirt yeah. bags if you want to, but, you know, go green. You might have gotten a few cheers from Gainesville as a residual to that. There's more gators around here than you'd think, to be honest. I think I got one living in my building. We're everywhere, Nate. <laughs> We're everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I'll, just, I'll just before we do take off, take off. So, what as a as a lifelong Michigan Spartan fan, Michigan State Spartan, yeah, Michigan State Spartan. I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> by the way. As a Michigan State Spartan uh, booster, bagman, <laughs> student, all that. What what sport? makes you happier when they win and more upset when they lose football or basketball? Like which one, if you had to pick, are you more invested in on an annual basis? Oh gosh. It's, uh, it's tough to say. Um, I would say, you know, I enjoy being a, a, a better football program more, you know, we had a great, you know, five year run there and, and, you know, being a, a, you know, a top 10, top five team, you know, yearly, there is nothing better than that. Um, I will say it kind of depends on the year though. And what we have, you know, there are some years with the basketball team, like I will never get over, you know, I will never get over uh, losing to Connecticut uh, with Gary Harris and, and that team. And, and I will, I will, God, I will never get over losing to Syracuse with Jaron Jackson and miles bridges. Like I, just certain games with the basketball team that, that just get you differently. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you still on the 15 and 0 bandwagon? Oh, for always, year absolutely. This is the year. We got some new transfers oh. coming in. 
you know, we, we've revamped the roster. Mel Tucker is going to get it going. Absolutely. 15 and 0 is definitely on the horizon. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll just throw this in because I know you recently did a gambling podcast I, that I will be listening to. You know, my best bet last year, it's Spartans plus 1,700 against Michigan. Cash it out, baby. Yeah. You think, oh, they did. Okay. Last year, How do you hit? Do? They were plus 1,700, won the game. It was a great, it was my best, one of my better bets in my lifetime. So here's something that I'm also going to need from you. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a request that you can fulfill or oh not. God, I'm almost afraid of this. But you got to beat the Miami Hurricanes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, are you kidding me? Come on now. I know there's probably yeah. going to be some Hurricane fans, you know, listening to this, but, you know, who cares? Yeah, that, that's definitely a part of it. You know, they're, they're going to – I think they're, they're going to start off – they don't have to play Alabama before us, then like Appalachian State. They're going to lose both those games. They're going to come in wounded. It's season – they'll be – They'll have cashed it in the chips by then. I'm pretty sure that about a third of their roster will be wiped out after the Bama right, game. Not even so, it. We've seen that. I've, you know, I've barked up that tree before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, that was that was almost legitimately like as a, as 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 not even a joke. Like that Bama Florida State game was the start of the downfall of Florida State. Right. Because it, it, they, were, they were never the same after they got demolished in that you game. You say the same like about our were, program. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we lost that playoff <laughs> game and it hadn't been the same. Well, we lost uh, in 2009 in 09 in the SEC championship game. And, you know, we, we were not the same program for years. I ago. had Bama like, in that game too, Roll Tide. It was a nice little payday for my college days. I fucking hate you so much right now. <laughs> great. Our first year as a family having season tickets was actually his first year as the coach. And I can with the giant glasses. That's right. I can the, vividly remember, you know, it's funny what you remember as a kid, but I can vividly remember his first game when we got the shit kicked out of us uh, by an all time great Nebraska team. I can remember people saying, why did we hire this guy? You know, this guy's a bum, terrible coach. And like, now you roll the tape forward and it's like, where were those guys now? I'd love to talk to them. Yeah, well, I mean, he did, and he won it, and he won it in '03 with LSU. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he had, no, make like, no mistake about it, he did a great job at Michigan State. You know, they were, you know, he had the program on the uptick, and he took it over when it was terrible. Uh, so yeah, you could definitely see that he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Well, why? Uh, so why? Uh, um, I just I want to backtrack. One thing is, uh, Dylan said that the film has been lost for years, like it never happened. He has no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's so. because he fucking stole it and made sure it was <laughs> never be seen yeah, by absolutely. anyone. Couldn't have his reputation in our small town as a legitimate baseball player be frazzled by me going yard on him after I've never picked up. You know, I didn't ever play to organize baseball. It just came in and popped one off of him. That's exactly Did how you- it went down. He was talking shit. You know, we used to go cheer him on from the, you know, from center field. I had a buddy who lived in, uh, in center field. His, his backyard was in center field. So we used to go out there and heckle the, the opposing teams and, you know, cheer Dylan on. Uh, but, you know, I, I said, you know, he, he made it look too easy. So, you know, he said, oh, well, why don't you step in there? And I said, no problem. Roll the tape. I hope you bat flipped him. I hope well, you, you bat flipped him. You got to know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the bat flip was born that day. Jeffrey Leonard, one flap down absolutely. around was, the bases. Was like <laughs> May of 2005. Yeah, absolutely. The bat flip was born that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Nate. I really appreciate you being on and, and taking the time to do that. I know, obviously, um, before we recorded, like it, it, you're very busy and doing what you're doing. And anytime, 
somebody takes the time to come on and talk to me about something, uh, you can always tell when it's a, a thing that they're really passionate about and really love and really enjoy. And that definitely came across while you were, while we were on together. So thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. This does not mean in any form or fashion that, uh, I'm going to take it easy on the Twitter machine at all. You know, so, call me when you get a hockey team, uh, first of all. And uh, second, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it, happy to be here. Uh, and I hope, you know, I hope people get something out of it, um, you know, and enjoy it. I'm a lifelong, I'm a lifelong Michigan Spartan hockey uh, fan. Mi- lifelong. No, we're, we're Michigan State. See, Michigan I'm have, State. No, I, I can, I can fight. I'm saying that on purpose. I'm completely saying that on purpose. I know what's going on. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Um, you know, beat Miami and all the best of luck in, in the industry that you're in. I, I can only, I can only see it growing from here. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's obvious, obviously it's past its birth stage, but there's so many different ways it can go. And I wish you all the luck and all the success and, and all the things that you're going to do with it and wherever you're going to take it for your career. And again, thank you for being on. And, and I hope you enjoyed hanging out with me for an hour and a little bit. Absolutely. This was great. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Nate. We'll catch up with you later. Um, And maybe someday we'll do another show when there's differences and changes in the industry. I would love to have you on again at some point. This was a lot of fun. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Oh,